everyone. Welcome to the Unorthodoxy podcast. My name is Duncan, and this is a thought experiment, or maybe I should call it a bit of a failed thought experiment. Um, something I've realized is that theology or theologizing is always in some way a little bit about failing. We're talking about things like the ineffable, the mysterious, and so success is not really a category that we should hold on too tightly to anyway. So yeah, the the last time I spoke about heresy, and in one of the comments on the Unorthodoxy Podcast Facebook page, my friend David Levy mentioned that I could also have mentioned the mutual excommunication of the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. Dave also suggested that these act as a kind of weird example of the fact that even venerable churches have regarded each other as heretics, at least technically. So anyway, so... Dave's, uh, just his comment caught my eye for two reasons. He actually said more than, than what I'm quoting here, but I just want to focus on this one part of what he said. I appreciated how his comment echoed my basic deconstruction of heresy, but I also liked what he said because he used that word excommunication in a very particular context. The context was that two orthodox churches regarded each other as heretics at one point in history, but now we're living in a time when barely anyone would accept that as a legitimate stance. So I want to talk about excommunication, but I'm going to do it a little unorthodoxly, obviously, and I want to start with a joke that, uh, that Slavoj Žižek is very fond of telling. It goes like this, and I'm going to just quote him. A German worker gets a job in Siberia. Aware of how all mail will be read by censors, he tells his friends, let's establish a code. If a letter you get from me is written in ordinary blue ink, it's true. If it's written in red ink, it's false. After a month, his friend gets the first letter. It's written in blue ink. Everything is wonderful here. Stores are full, food is abundant, apartments are large and properly heated, movie theatres show films from the West. There are many beautiful girls ready for an affair. The only thing that's unavailable is red ink. It's really weird uh, telling a a joke with no one in the room, but there you have it anyway. uh, I hope it made you smile. It's kind of a weird idea. What you have in the joke is this wonderful idea of trying to say something by not saying it, or by being unable to say it. It's a bit like the rhetorical device known as apophasis, which refers to when you talk about a subject by overtly denying it. It's like saying something like, I'm not going to talk about Johnny Gorgonzola and his appalling bigotry, lack of logic, and love of smelly cheeses. In apophasis, you say the very thing you're telling everyone you're not saying. Of course, usually we think of excommunication as the action of excluding a person from participating in the activities of the Christian church. I think of a work just historically, it's, it's wrongly attributed to the third century bishop named Gregory Thaumaturgus. Uh, he's also known as Gregory of Neo-Caesarea. The work is titled 12 Chapters on the Faith, and it contains extensive examples of what sorts of things would get a person pronounced anathema and thereby would be excommunicated from the church. So obviously, the word excommunication can be taken in this literal form. But I want to try and find a little bit of a different angle on the word excommunication and what it could mean for us. 
So I'm going to borrow a bit from a little book on media theory called Excommunication. It's a book co-authored by Alexander Galloway, Eugene Thacker, and Mackenzie Walk. In that book, Galloway, Thacker, and Walk look at the idea of excommunication as a way of understanding communication and media. Communication, as we usually understand it, has to do with carrying across ideas. It's what I'm trying to do right now. It's got to do with repeating familiar sounds called words, spending time with people, or creating a sense of integration and connection. But sometimes, maybe more often than we would like, communication fails. Sometimes the message we get is that there will be no more messages. Think of that HTTP 404 not found error. It's something you get when the web page you were trying to get to is just missing. The moment you hit that thing, you're hitting nothing when you, you were aiming at something. So you feel barred from the communication. There's You're missing out. You're excommunicated. And yet you're still there. It's the page that is missing, not you. Or at least I kind of hope it's not you that's missing. Uh, so the point is this. Uh, excommunication resists, it opposes, it excludes. But at the very same time, it affirms the page is missing, but you're still there, staring at something that isn't there in a way. Uh, so you're affirmed in the very same moment that the communication has failed. It's like that wonderful nonsense poem by Hughes Mearns, uh, which goes, Yesterday upon the stair I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. I love this. It's just such a beautiful thing, uh, because you have this kind of negation that acts as an affirmation. And this, if you'll wait for it, is going to have some really, really cool theological implications. The HTTP file not found thing and the Mearns poem, they're obviously just examples, but they point to a profound reality. Every communication implies a possible excommunication. Reasons for this excommunication may vary. Sometimes we are excommunicated when the person we're talking to just can't put what they want to say into words, or when they just refuse to engage, or when they're apathetic, because Maybe some things are just not worth saying. So excommunication is about what cannot be said or what won't be said or even maybe what, what about what is unsaid. To maybe get to this idea a little bit differently, um, it's helpful to recall Plato's famous dialogue in the Phaedrus, uh, between, this dialogue between the god Thamus and the inventor Theuth. The story is actually told by Socrates. There are multiple. It's a dialogue within a dialogue anyway. By the way, the names Themis and Theuth, this, these are the two characters I'm looking at. What kind of names are those? Um, I think the parents of, of these people need to be locked away for, for child abuse. Anyway, so Theuth is this inventor, and he's super pleased because he's just invented writing. And so he goes to Themis to brag about how he's created this amazing way to pres preserve wisdom and memory. But Themis is totally unimpressed by Thuth. He says that this thing called writing is going to wreck everything. It's going to confuse information with wisdom, and it's going to encourage people to forget, because they, they'll end up writing shopping lists instead of remembering what they need to buy. So, okay, obviously I'm adding a bit. He doesn't talk about shopping lists, but that's our experience. We write the shopping list or type it onto our phone, because it's a way of remembering but at the very same time, 
it's actually forgetting. So the gist is the same. Writing only helps us to remember by helping us to forget. The communication only works because of the excommunication that's built into the medium. So Thamus has a point. Uh, writing, which is communication, does have a tendency to excommunicate memory. And yet, at the very same time, writing does help us to remember one word can trigger a thousand associations. So the communication and the excommunication are part of each other. I know this may sound really uh, convoluted and complicated right now, but there's a place I want to take you, and I can't do it without this this little interplay of complications. So let me look at another idea, and this is a little bit closer to our kind of theological territory. The idea is the idea of Lent. Uh, that's the season we're in. It's a season in a number of traditions during which Christians give up something as they prepare for Easter. Or sometimes people take on something in, a, in an attempt to form a new habit. But, but giving up something is the usual thing that's done. I was actually planning on giving up God for Lent, but instead I gave up coffee. Um, and I'm going to leave you to figure out if you think I was joking about giving up God. Uh, but I'm definitely dead serious about giving up coffee. So what have I done by giving up coffee? In a way, you could say I've excommunicated the coffee from my diet. But for me, this, this simple act is not a clear negation of coffee. I'm not opposing coffee by doing this crazy, crazy thing. Instead, it's a weird kind of affirmation of coffee. And at the same time, this excommunication encourages me to remember my own life, my own understanding of what Easter means, what this build-up to Easter means. And it, it reminds me of a number of other things. This very simple act of not drinking coffee which is a weird way of saying it, if, if you come to think of it. This act of not drinking coffee is not about me saying that coffee is bad. In, in a way, it's actually for me a, a bit more of a reminder of how it is good. My decision is a refusal that comes out of gratitude and appreciation and definitely not hatred. It's a positive kind of excommunication. The lack of coffee becomes a sign of abundance. So there's lack and abundance at the same time. Just reflecting on this idea of a positive kind of excommunication, this got me thinking about the story in Genesis 3. After the rebellion of Adam and Eve, God excommunicates them from the Garden of Eden. It's not referred usually to as, as excommunication, but I think it's a fitting way of seeing it. This happens in the th last verse of the third chapter of Genesis 3. But in the very first verse of chapter 4 of Genesis you have God right there with Adam and Eve. Theologians have all sorts of things to say about why God excommunicates Adam and Eve, and I'm not going to go into those things now, but what theologians don't tend to comment on is how God goes with them even after he excommunicates them. In a way, in this story, he excommunicates himself with them from the garden. I just think this... I mean, I'm just playing with ideas, but I think it's kind of a cool way to look at it. So just just to clarify, in case you're getting a bit lost, I'm, I'm using the word excommunication in three ways here. The first way refers to the literal meaning. That's the meaning of being chucked out of the church. The second refers to the way that it exposes the double nature of communication. All communication presupposes excommunication. And the third way that I'm using the word 
excommunication is poetic, which is something of a combination of the other two meanings. And I know that uh, poetry is, is always a little bit more slippery. Um, the meanings of words tend to shift a little because the reality behind the words is more than the words themselves can communicate. Anyway, so here we have God excommunicating himself in order to communicate himself. And this has everything to do with God wanting to be with his people, his creatures, which are represented by Adam and Eve. So with this in mind, let's have a look at just that concept that John talks about in, in the first chapter of, of that book. Um, so he talks about Jesus as the logos of God, as the word or the communication of God. But as we know, every communication involves an excommunication, which is something that cannot be said. So Jesus is, in a way, God excommunicating himself from the spiritual domain in order to be present to humanity in a bodily form. It's God taking on flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood. Actually, this, this idea came up in a text conversation uh, I was having with my friend Roberto Cervent. I, I was just texting him and saying, this is what my next podcast is going to be about. And he, he had this wonderful idea. He said, he said this, the, there's this possibility that if we take seriously Christ's injunction that we must lose our lives to find it, then maybe this is part of God's character too. God gives up his own identity as God in order to affirm it. And this, of course, makes me think of the story that's at the heart of the Christian tradition. So whether you accept it or not, that's none of my business. But the ideas here are profound, and I think they're quite beautiful, even if you just take them as ideas. Jesus, who according to the Christian tradition is the truest communication of God that we have, is also someone who experiences the ultimate kind of excommunication. Humanity resists him, refuses him, crucifies him. But that excommunication, unbeknownst to the excommunicators, is precisely what ends up confirming just how remarkable this Jesus character really is. In the process of pronouncing Jesus to be anathema, the people accidentally tell us where we're going to find God. So there's a positive kind of excommunication, like the excommunication of Lent or of God excommunicating himself from the Garden of Eden. And there's a negative kind of excommunication where people reject other people or, or Jesus or God. But weirdly enough, both confirm something that's, I think, of tremendous theological significance. And it's this. God will always be among the excommunicated. You could almost say that God is, in a way, the ultimate excommunicant. He is with the expelled with those who don't fit, with those who don't belong. In Jesus, God is found in the place of the most dejected. And that I think that's kind of comforting. It's a good thought because life is filled with excommunications. There's, I mean, just to start, it, there's the mysteriousness of God, for one thing. Um, God doesn't make sense ever. And that, that just doesn't change. At least that's my experience. And then there's the fact of our human experiences. We have so many experiences, good, bad, terrible, horrific, amazing, and everything in between. But the story of the excommunicated God is a story about finding divinity inside the very experiences of alienation and loneliness and impossibility and mystery and confusion, all of these experiences that we tend to want to cover up. I like that. 
I, I hope you do too. I feel like that's only the tip of a theological iceberg, um, but I, and maybe that's a bad metaphor because it suggests ships sinking, but anyway, um, I wanted to put the idea out there just to, to see what you think or to, to provoke some more thought. Maybe this word excommunication can provide new ways to help us to understand the kenosis of God, uh, which is mentioned in Philippians 2. God empties himself to take on bodily form. Or maybe excommunication can help us to understand the nature of self-giving in the Trinity. Maybe the Trinity is a perpetual act of self-excommunication for the sake of relationship. I don't know. That's probably kind of a wacky idea, but maybe excommunication is another way of helping us to see negative theology. I don't know exactly how far the idea will go, but I'm going to think about it and maybe you will think about it with me and share your thoughts with me if you get the chance. But for now, just a few closing ideas. Maybe we can think of how important it is not to see God as being equal to the ideological structures of our day, just pure communications like these very closed, uh, rigid ways of seeing things. But maybe it's better to see God as the excommunication that forces us to reconsider the legitimacy of those ideological structures. Maybe we can consider just the possibility, as in negative theology, that our affirmations of God are probably very, very close to being idolatrous in some way. Maybe God is the excommunication of God. Even though the Christian church has often been so eager in its history to excommunicate people, the Christ impulse is one that seems to side with excommunicants rather than with the power structures of the church. I find it comforting that traditionally, that's especially I've, I've been reading quite a few of the patristic writers, excommunication was never in its literal sense about saying that heretics were separated from God by being excommunicated. If anything, the excommunication was an opportunity for even the heretics to start wondering, maybe pondering, if they were being thrown out of the garden, maybe so that they could experience what it was like to have God go with them. Because, as I've been saying, God is on the side of excommunicants. 